We're going to be finishing off our last kind of last time in Philippians. We've actually done 13 weeks in Philippians over about a four-month period, so it's been a, a good chunk of the year. So if you've got your Bibles, you can, you can get them ready now. We're going to be right at the end, Philippians 4. I expect all the Bibles by now, like this one, have a significant crease down in the Philippians section. You can almost just hold it like this, and it just kind of opens straight away to Philippians. But uh, it's on 692 is where we're going to start. And one of the things which is clear is that Paul and the church in Philippi had a connection. There was something different about the thing that they had between them, which maybe he didn't experience with some of the other places that he visited. There was a partnership, which in many ways was really special. Now, Philippians, as Matt and John and the others have told us, is Paul's joy letter. It's his letter of happiness. He mentions joy 16 times throughout this book. And if you want to find happiness, it's, this is a really good foundation to go from. And as he writes to the church in Philippi from house arrest, he wants to encourage them. He wants to emphasize that you have made me happy. You've made me joyful. And I want to encourage you in return. And as we draw to a close in the, over the last 13 weeks, I want to f- focus on what it means to find joy in partnership. What it means to find joy in partnership. Because clearly there was a partnership between Paul and the Philippians church. And it brought him joy. And we want to experience something of that. Both between ourselves and Jesus. But also between us as Gateway Church. As believers here together. Now partnership is something which is all around us. All of us to some degree enter into partnership, whether it's husband and wife, whether it's friends, whether it's family, whether it's at work. I know that when I I go to work, I form part of a partnership. My head teacher takes the lead, and I form part of her team. And then in my maths team, the teachers from around the school form part of my team. And it's in working in partnership that we are fruitful. And I thought we'd take a look at a number of partnerships from around the world to kind of get us thinking. And maybe a little bit of a quiz here. You might recognize some of those. Let's have a, let's have a look at these two fine-looking gentlemen from the 1970s. Does anyone know who these two chaps are? Anyone know? Oh. Steve Jobs and his friend, also, also called Steve. Steve Wozniak. Now, this pair met in the 1970s, and they have had a long-standing partnership. And basically, the summary of their partnership is this. Wozniak was the brains. He built the computers. And then Steve Jobs says, oh, I could sell that. This is, in fact, what uh, Steve Wozniak said about Steve Jobs. He says, I was just doing something I was very good at. And the thing that I was good at turned out to be a thing that was going to change the world. Steve was much further thinking than me. When I designed a good things, sometimes they'd say, we can sell this. And we did. And so they created a business which has changed the world. Many of you will be sitting there this morning with a phone designed by the company which they formed. It's now the biggest company on, on earth, a successful partnership. Um, staying in the, the tech lines, what about these two likely chaps? Um, I guarantee most of you have used their product in the last 24 hours. Hours. Does anyone know who they are? It's not Zuckerberg. It's not Zuckerberg. It is um, Larry Page and uh, Sergey 
been. And they, um, they met at Stanford University in 1995. And Serge I was doing a campus tour for the doctoral students. And uh, Larry Page was going to be a doctoral student. And the, the story goes that they just argued all their way, up the whole way around in their partnership. And eventually, they ended up working together on a research project. And this will give you a clue. The paper was called this, The Anatomy of Large-Scale Hypertext Web Search Engines. Does anyone know what they found? Yes, that's right. They, they found Google, a successful partnership. Um, probably one of the biggest search engines used today. What about uh, these two friendly-looking chaps? Does anyone know which company they formed? Let me give you a clue. His name is on the left is Ben Cohen, and on the right is Jerry Springfield. Ben and Jerry's. There we go. Ben and Jerry's. Got that there. Do you know, um, they met at school. They were actually born four days apart in the same city, met at school, and after finishing school, they went on an ice cream making course, and uh, they thought, this is fun, and so they decided to make an initial investment of £12,000 into their company. Now, just five years later, their company was tr trading £4 million a year, and then in the year 2000, they sold it for just over $300 million, a successful partnership. The best part of their story, and I think there's a, there's a slight irony in this, um, is that they met in a PE class at school. <laughs> it's, a slight, it's a slight irony, isn't it? Um, now, this partnership's a little bit more obscure. Uh, this is a spatial... Uh, this is 99, the story came out, 99, so kind of almost 20 years ago. This was a partnership between NASA and another aerospace firm called Lockheed Martin. And they, they designed a ship to go where no man-made object had gone before. They wanted to send a spacecraft to the surface of Mars to explore this. This is 20-odd 20, 20 years ago now. And they started working together in partnership. And they're both based in America, but there's a kind of a peculiarity. NASA used a metric measurement system, and Lockheed Martin used an imperial measurement system. Now, the people who were working at NASA and the people working at Lockheed, they were some of the brightest minds in the whole of the United States, and probably in the whole of the world. And they started building and designing this thing. And do you know what? To start with, metric and imperial wasn't an issue. They could convert between the two. And they sent their satellite up, and one of the companies had to transfer some coordinates to the other company and some measurements. And they converted it for them, sent it across, and the other guys didn't realize that it had been converted. And what ended up happening was that they lost their spaceship somewhere in space. Just a 125 million pound spaceship because of a slight communication in converting centimeters to inches. It was probably a little bit more complex than that. Now I know that when I enter work each day, I bring my own strengths, I bring my own qualities, I bring my skills as a teacher, I bring my skills as a team player, but I also bring to those partnerships my weaknesses my failures, my strivings in the wrong directions, my miscommunications, all those things I bring to the table. And Paul says this. He says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The miracle of the gospel is this, that despite our weaknesses, Despite our failures, despite our self-centeredness, when we give our lives over to Jesus and cross that line of faith, God personally invites us into partnership with him. 
We weren't just brought in to make up numbers. We weren't the last one chosen on the playground. No, God has picked us up and he's brought us into partnership. That means that our presence here this morning as people connected to Gateway Church, as people connected to the wider church, the Bride of Christ, is significant because we have a role to play. And so, thinking about joyful partnership, I want to emphasize two things this morning. Firstly, that partnership in the gospel empowers us for mission. Partnership in the gospel empowers us for mission. And then a little bit later, I want to think about this. Partnership in the gospel uniting us in God's grace. Let's read from verse 10 of chapter 4 down to verse 13. It says this, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but I had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of it or of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In, I- in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So partnership in the gospel empowers us for mission. Do you know, we live in a world full of advertising. It's all around us. I, I expect when you woke up this morning and had your cereal, on that cereal packet would have been some advertising. I know that when I go downstairs and I switch on my computer and I, I load on Facebook or Google, I know that I'm going to be surrounded by advertising. I know that when I get in my car and drive down the road, there's going to be a billboard trying to sell me something that it wants me to have, the next greatest and latest product. And that At the heart of advertising is a seed of discontent. That the thing that you have is not good enough, and therefore you need to get something new. In fact, advertising is even more subtle than that. Adverts want to make you feel positive about the thing that you want, which is why when you switch on your TV and watch advertising, there's pictures of cute babies and fresh flowers and sunshine, because those things... They make us feel good about ourselves. And so they put their product next to these things. So when you're walking down through the shops or up the supermarket aisles and you see that product which was advertised, you remember the positive emotion that you attach to it. And you go, oh, I want that. I really want that next thing. Do you know, there was a, a guy called Morris who built one of the largest advertising companies in America. It had brands like Doritos, Dr. Pepper. They're really big brands. He said this about advertising. He said, advertising makes people discontented. It makes them want things they don't have. You know, advertising works on the principle that we have unlimited wants and that we should be discontented with what we have. But what Paul says is that we should be content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Whether we are bought low or living in abundance. Whether we get that new promotion or we don't. Whether we can afford that new house or we have to just be content with what we have. Paul says, be content. And I love the phrasing here. He says, I found the secret. He's found the secret and he decides he's going to share it with us. In verse 13, he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can be joyful in our partnership 
because Christ strengthens me. Ultimately, we find our contentment and strength in Jesus Christ. If we try to find it in our work, in our money, in our lives, in our friendships, in our possessions, they're going to start to rule us. They're going to start to be idols. But Paul says he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. It's from that place which mission can flow. Be content with what you have and where you are allows us to share freely the greatness of God at work in our lives. Because it's the foundation of contentment that brings us into joyful partnership. Secondly, we need to learn to live in credit. Let's read verse 14 down to verse 17. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me, my, uh, me help for my need once and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your credit. The partnership that Paul experienced between himself and the Philippian church was not only one of friendship, but also financial. It seems that the gift that Paul had received from the Philippian church enabled him to go into full-time ministry. We read in Acts 18 that Paul was actually a tent maker, and he, he did tent making most of the week, and then at the weekends he went into the synagogues to reason there. And again in 2 Corinthians, we see a similar picture that Paul, not wanting to be a burden to the church in Corinth, received no financial aid. And yet, the support that he's receiving from the Philippian church was not only one of friendship, but was a financial one. And it's at this point that Paul, kind of, it seems clear that he's in full-time ministry. And the lesson we can learn here is that full-time ministry requires generous giving. It requires generous giving. We read that the church kind of supported, the church in Philippi supported Paul again and again and again. It's a, it's a model that we should employ. Let's take a look at our finances again and let's see what God was challenged us to give. And I'm going to look again and I'm going to look in and I'm going to keep revisiting the fact that God is a generous God and, and generous giving allows full-time ministry to take place. But it is from a foundation of contentment that Paul makes it clear that he's not actually seeking another gift. We read about at the end of verse 17. He doesn't write to them pleading for more cash. He says, my, he didn't say, my, my, my coffers are running a little bit low. Could you send me some more cash because my shoes are wearing out and therefore I can't walk to my next location? No, he's content with what he has. He's content with what he has. He says this, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You know, faith stirs when we give, but it also stirs what we give. And it's something that we've seen at work here at Gateway Church as we stand just a week away from a significant moment in our church history, about to plant a new congregation into 502 Ashley Road. Faith stirred us to give. Now, January last year, we moved our Paul Key congregation into Skinner Street, and we thought that would be kind of the next big move. And little did we know that round the corner, God had something different for us. Now, this photo here was one which was posted onto Facebook kind of, kind of eight, ten months ago. 
And just 60 months later from that move, we own a second building. And we have raised more money than we've ever raised in a kind of a short period of time. And we're ready to step into everything that God has for us, both at 502, but also here at Older Road. When we gave our lives to God, he brought us into partnership. And when we gave financially, we've demonstrated the fruit of God's work in our lives. And that figure is an incredible figure. And just last week announcing 16,000 more being given to help support the renovation of both buildings. I think that's incredible testament to God's faithfulness to us. That no matter how much we have or matter how much we don't have, we've learned to be content and live in the credit of what God has given us. I think we can draw some just helpful giving principles out of this as well. Firstly, we should give thanks to the one who enables the gifts. As we give, we should thank God for all the things he's given to us. God, I thank you that you are a providing, generous God. And I'm going to thank you again and again because you've enabled me to give. Secondly, that we should give thanks to the humans who give it. At Gateway Church, we are thankful for generous givers. This wouldn't work. We wouldn't be able to do what we're doing if you weren't generous givers. So we are thankful to you and we're thankful to God. Thirdly, we recognize that it is ultimately given to God. The money we give is given to God. It's a response to his faithfulness to us. And fourthly, God loves it. God loves generous giving because it reflects his generosity to us. Do you know, God has given us all things. God has given us all things. You know, the long and short of it is that God's grace to us covered our debt. In our human form, our debt could not be paid. Our sin, our self-centeredness had caused a separation that put us in debt. We had no cash. We were bankrupt. We had nothing. Our corruption, our loss had caused a separation from God, a chasm which could not be crossed. And yet Jesus stepped in. He died in our place. He paid our debts. He forgave our sin and restored us to the Father. And therefore, we live in credit. We live in credit because he has given us an inheritance which is never going to fail or spoil or perish. And it's going to go on for eternity. It is something we don't deserve, but God has given to us. And if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus and you've never given your life to him, that's the message of the gospel, that in our human state, we had fallen short of God, and we were living in debt, and that Jesus came, and he stood in our place, and he said, I'm going to pay your debt by dying in your place, and I'm going to give myself to you. And when he rose again on the third day, death was conquered, sin was conquered, and it meant that we could be restored to him, and therefore, we live in credit. It is in our security in him, and the credit that we have through Jesus' work on the cross, that we are able to give in faith. It's a demonstration of God's faithfulness. And let's abound in it. Let's keep pushing out in our giving. Let's keep pushing on in the money that we are giving because ultimately it's given from God to us in the first place and we're giving it to God for his purpose. It's part of our mission to give. Thirdly, we share in each other's needs. Let's read verse 18 down to verse 20. It says this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory 
forever and ever. Amen. It is clear that the Philippian church shared in the needs of Paul and that Paul shared in the needs of the Philippian church. There was a level of commitment in their partnership together that was far, level, far deeper than just a kind of general concern. But it was one where they were really burdened to seeing that Paul was being successful and that he was supporting, that Paul wanted to encourage them and bring joy to them. There was a real measure of commitment. And they, they made their concern tangible by giving gifts. And Epaphroditus, it says here, delivered a gift to Paul, which, for which Paul rejoiced. Deeper than that, though, the, the gift they gave was described as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Ultimately, what the Philippian church was not only a, they gave was not only a financial gift, which was going to support God, uh, Paul in his travels, in his work, it was an act of worship. The Philippian church gave as an act of worship. And it came from an understanding that God was going to supply their needs, that, that they had faith to know that God was going to give them all things, that no matter how much they gave to Paul, there was always going to be enough supply from God. Hebrews 11, 26 says this about Moses. He said, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. He had known the, the goodness and greatness of living in Egypt. And yet it says that he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than knowing all the treasures in Egypt. The, the truth is that we are rich in Christ. He will supply our needs. He is the one we, in who we can place our trust and find our riches. And therefore, two questions logically follow. The first one's this. Are we looking to God to supply our needs? Are we genuinely looking to God to supply our needs? And secondly, how are we identifying with those in trouble? How are we identifying with those in trouble? You know, partnership, joyful partnership in the gospel empowers us for mission. We are caught up on God's mission here on earth to see him made famous to all the corners of the world. And what we are doing here at Older Road and what we'll be doing next week at Ashley Road is not just a sequence of Sunday mornings where we get up Sunday morning, we check the time, we arrive here, we, we say hello to a few people, we sing a few songs, someone says a few words, we feel a little bit encouraged, we drink a coffee and we go home and then next week we repeat the cycle because that's what we do. That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is we're caught up on God's mission on earth. We're caught up in God's purpose to build his church. It's his gospel made known, and it's significant to us. It's significant to me that when I chose to put my trust in Jesus, he brought me into a partnership with him. But it's significant for the 150,000 people who live in our town. It is significant news to them. It's significant to my colleagues, to my neighbors, and it's significant that they get a chance to encounter God. And God has given me and he's brought me into partnership on this mission. And he's brought you into partnership on this mission that we should be going out and identifying and sharing in the troubles of those around us. And that might be sharing the troubles of our neighbors, of our colleagues, identifying with them. It might be inviting them to an event next week. And it might be the, that might be their first encounter with church since they were a kid at school singing hymns on the, on the hall floor. That might be their first encounter coming into a spring fair. So get inviting. 
Get bringing people along because we are partners in God's mission. And if we're miserable partners, if we're face down thinking, oh, geez, God, would you just do something in us? It's not going to happen. We've got to be joyful. We're going we're gonna to share the greatness and goodness of God in our lives with those around us, with our, our friends and our family, and we need to be joyful about it. Do you know, partnership needs to be joyful, but partnership also unites us in God's grace. You know, the book of Philippians starts and ends at the same point. This is what it says in Philippians 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in, at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Philippians 4, right at the end of the book, says this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. It's there again. The, the greeting at the beginning and greeting at the end. The brothers who are with you greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit. As Paul brings his letter to a close, he lets the Philippians church know that all the people in Caesar's household greet him. And this would have been encouraging news because Caesar's household may have numbered as many as 200,000 people. They'd have started life as slave boys, they'd have been educated, they'd have been given positions of duty, and at the age of 30 they would have been freed and they'd have had significant kind of roles in office in Caesar's kingdom. And to know that there were people there who were no kind of believers, who'd given their lives to Jesus would have been encouraging. And because Philippi was obviously a Roman colony, they would, have, they would have known people in Caesar's household. And it would have been encouraging to know that. Paul, even though he was chained to a Roman guard under house arrest, having a new guard given to him every four hours, he didn't lose his evangelistic focus that whilst he was in prison, the gospel was still going forward and that people were coming to know Christ. In fact, the very infrastructure of Caesar's civilization, his kingdom, was being infiltrated by God's kingdom. Jesus was being made known. And being just a week away from launching Ashley Road and having a spring fair here to bring our community in an older road, wouldn't it be incredible to say that in Paul we have believers at every level of office? That we have civil servants, that we have politicians, that we have doctors and teachers and nurses and accountants and lawyers and counsellors and people who are going to stand up for us and kind of charity workers, at every level of office, we have believers in those places because the gospel has gone forth, because we are partners in God's mission. So when Paul wrote to them saying, Caesar's household greets you, that would have been encouraging. And it's going to be encouraging for us too. And finally, being united in God's grace. The letter ends and begins with grace. It's all about grace. Grace that enabled them in Philippi to do all that Paul had encouraged them to do. Whether it be joyful in prayer or in preaching or living. Whether it be joyful in conflict or unity. Whether it be joyful in Jesus or in obedience or friendship or in loss or imitation, in reconciliation. Or like we're looking at today, joyful in partnership. It begins and ends with God's grace to us. If you want to be full of joy, if you want to be joyful, if you want to be a happy Christian, open yourselves up to receive God's grace to you. Open yourselves up to receive God's grace. Next week is significant for us. 
We're going to partner with God on something new. We're partnering with Jesus and saying, we want to be part of your mission here in Paul. And joyful partnership empowers us for that mission. And it unites us in God's grace. This is an exciting time to be part of what God is doing here on Impul as we step out in faith. Not content to see another building become a supermarket or a block of flats or a day nursery. No, we've got a church going in on Ashley Road. And it's significant because we're partnering with God on his mission. And that should fill us with joy. It should get us excited. It should make us passionate about seeking and saving our lost. So when we go into work, when we meet our neighbors, we want to say, God, we've got something which is great. We found Jesus, and we want you to find it as well. Habakkuk 2, verse 14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Paul, our town, our beautiful town, who we should be sold out for, will be covered with the knowledge and glory of God. That's my prayer for us this morning. It's our prayer for us as Gateway Church, that the gospel of the Lord breaks out in Paul, and it is good news which transforms lives so that we can declare that the glory of God is covering the waters, that the 150,000 people who live all around us get a chance to encounter Jesus and be restored to him because of his grace at work. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and let's pray together and I think Matt's going to come up as well. Father, I I thank you for this book of Philippians. I thank you that uh, we stand together as Gateway Church. We stand as people called into partnership with you. That you've brought us into your mission. That we are partners in what you're doing here in Paul. And we want to say, God, would you just open our hearts out to receive your grace? Lord, that we would be a a people who know your grace at work in our lives. Because ultimately, that's where it begins and that's where it ends. Your grace to us. And we pray right now as we stand on the the kind of the dawn of something new for what, as us as Gateway Church, I pray that you would make us joyful. Lord, that we would be a happy people kind of rejoicing in your goodness to us, rejoicing in your, your work at, in our lives, Lord Jesus, and so that when we step out in faith, your gospel goes forward. Lord, I pray you give us a boldness to step out in faith this morning. Lord, I pray you give us a boldness as we go to work tomorrow to give out that flyer or to have that conversation we've shied away from or to go and visit that neighbor who we, we, we chat to over the fence but we've never mentioned anything about Jesus. And I pray you give us a boldness to, to step out because we, we know that Jesus is the pearl of great price. We know that Jesus is the hope of the world. We want to be people who share it. We want to be people who partner with you on your mission, Lord Jesus. So God, would you fill us with your grace? Lord, would you open up our hearts to know you more and that your gospel and your mission would be significant in our town of Paul, which we love, Lord Jesus.